When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, we're Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and if you think you know about superheroes and comic books, think again. We got romance, we got action, romance. we got comedy, we got everything you need, man. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know for all your superhero needs. Uh, ro- I, I don't know about this romance, what part are you talking about? We've got all kinds of sketches, and then deep dives on top of that. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know! Alright, so come on down to su- wait, why did I say come on down? To Superhero Stuff You Should Know. To entertain you, we'll sing your songs for good times, the best times. You can't go wrong. We'll two step, a new step, it won't be long. When the Dixieland is up playing, soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Hello, welcome to my podcast. This is Before My Time with your host, that's right, me, the idiot, Kelsey Laurie, and that was my best B-52s impersonation to join you in, because that's what we're talking about, one of my favorite bands, the B-52s. Enjoy! Hello everyone, we're superhero stuff you should know, and if you think you know about superheroes and comic books, think again. We got romance, we got action, we got comedy, we got everything you need, man. Come on down to superhero stuff you should know for all your superhero needs. Uh, I I don't know about this romance, what part are you talking about? We've got all kinds of sketches, and then deep dives on top of that. Come on down to superhero stuff you should know. Alright, so come on down to, wait, why did I say come on down? To superhero stuff you should know. Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. As many of you may know, I've played in the band Punchline for most of my life. Well, I'm here to tell you that we just released a new song. It's called Can I Get a Break? And I think the title of the song, which is also the main hook of the song, is pretty relatable to how we're all feeling lately. Here's a little preview for you. How many times am I gonna have to start again? Times am I gonna have to refresh? Cause I put my shoes on every day and I walk out that door. I'm getting tired, waiting patiently for progress. Can I Get a Break by my band Punchline is now streaming at all the places where you can listen to music. So if you like the way it sounds, go check it out. All right, Gelsey, I think this is one that has been on the back burner for quite a few months, possibly Mm -hmm. day one, actually. But you and I discovered early on in our friendship that one of the things that we both have a pretty mutual love of is the music of the B-52s. But you 
are the super fan where I am the casual fan. So mm-hmm. you to teach me about this strange, strange new wave punk rock band. Yeah, they're actually, it's new wave. It was the era's new wave sound with dance and surf music because they do have that kind of surf tone, um, undertone mixed with, yeah, and then they were considered punk. And I think it was, can't remember if it was Cindy or Kate who said it, that they were, were like, we didn't even think we were punk, but they kind of were. Yeah. <laughs> they were, I, and there's certain songs that I'll hit that totally, I'm like, this is punk rock. This is fucking bitching. Well, but yeah, I love them. That's the kind of interesting thing about, especially like that 80s punk scene, because you really have these two sides of a coin, right? You've got like what was happening in say like Boston and DC and LA, where it was like the hardcore minute long, angry, hyper political mm-hmm. music. And then on the other side of it, you had like CBGBs, which was like the Ramones and Blondie and the B 52s, mm-hmm. which was more, or even another band that I'm sure we'll talk about one day on the show, the violent femmes that it was mm-hmm. like, this music is not, angry per se it's very fun but it clearly has things it wants to say and it's very much of the counterculture and not something Mm -hmm. that even though a lot of it did end up on the radio not stuff that should be on the radio like it right yeah (laughs) oh blondie Um, i mean again another one that i'm sure we'll do an episode on blondie loved blondie as well um yeah no the b52s like you all know them i've seen them twice in concert um, and actually doing some diving deeper into this research led me procrastinating the research. And I was on Ticketmaster for about 30 minutes to an hour this morning. Because <laughs> they're going on a farewell tour and I am going to be there. They're coming to Anaheim. And if not that show, there's like three cities I could go to. And I was let like, me, oh, is- let me know what the date is. Maybe I'll fly out and go to see the B-52s with you. And I was trying to convince my sister too. I was like, dude, because that's like the B-52s is our band. When I was a kid, my best friend Megan growing up had, we all had different albums. I had the Time Capsule album and that's what I grew up with and played it to death. And then my friend Megan had the B-52s and we created like a whole show. We would do floor shows every weekend, which I've talked about before, but Megan and I created a whole floor show to the first three tracks of the B-52s. And so it starts with Planet Claire we went into Rock Lobster and we had this whole like story and like, so we would like dance to it and had all these things. And, um, but like my sister was always Kate. I was always Cindy. Anyways, if you don't know who the B-52s are, which it, that's shocking, but you would know them from such hits as Rock Lobster, Love Shack, Private Idaho. These are just a few to name and we will go in. They made an appearance in the 1990s. Four Flintstones, 1994 Flintstones movie, which I love. They were the BC 52s and they sing bedrock, twitch, twitch. They did the twitch and they also sing the theme song to Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah, they I do. remember the day I realized that it took me forever because I watched Rocco's Modern Life as a kid growing up. And I remember the day it clicked that I was like, oh my God, duh, like duh. Even I- just um, Fred's, you know, like. Uh, not Fred's. Yeah, yeah. Paco's yeah. um, Modern Life. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And the, and the harmonies that um, Cindy and Kate, the, they're the two females. I'll, I'll kind of go through. Cindy Wilson and Kate Pearson are the two girls in the band. They sang. And they also did both percussions and Kate played the um, keyboard a lot. Then Fred Schneider is the vocal vocalist and would also play percussion, but that means more. They would kind of each just pick up random instruments and 
play different yeah, I feel like sounds, I've seen Fred hitting the cowbell quite a bit in my yeah, life. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's a cow- I've <laughs> seen him live hit the tambourine on his ass. And sh- it was like the best moment of my life. I was like, I can die now. He yeah. came to the front of the stage and just worked that tambourine. But Fred's going to be your, <laughs> your what? That that B-52s. Um, Ricky it wasn't Wilson, a rock. Who- <laughs> exactly. But it wasn't a rock. Um, I used to have a t-shirt when I was a kid that said that. <laughs> I'm telling you, Matt, I love the V-52 so much. Um, Ricky Wilson um, was the guitarist, and that was Cindy Wilson's older brother. And Keith Strickland was the guitarist and then later moved to drums and also played keyboard. So it's really cool. Between Ricky and Keith, they were honestly like the musicians in the band, and they really would jump around on instruments. There was one, I think it might have been Whammy. Maybe Whammy. I need to double check what album it was that they played all the instruments on that album and everything else was vocalist, but the other three, cause they will jump around. So they're extremely talented. They wrote all these, they wrote all their own music and it was very experimental. Um, they are from Athens, Georgia, and obviously Cindy and Ricky are siblings. And so they all kind of work together though. Some like were friends, some, um, Kate had played in like a different band and, and they all got together one night through, being friends, meeting, blah, blah, blah. Um, in 1976, they say it was after a night at a Chinese restaurant drinking Flaming Volcanoes was the start of their band. They did that. And after they drank them, they're like, let's go jam. Like we, you know, and they jammed and it, they never turned back, which is awesome. But it really set the precedence of they were just hanging out, probably drunk, trying things and, and experimenting. And that was what forever they did. They would just um, one of them said, I think it was Kate that, you know, they didn't read music. So everything they did, she's like, we would just put in so many hours, hours and hours and hours and hours of taping different things and then going through and listening and picking out what sounded good and oh, that part and having to kind of memorize and rechunk everything together instead of being able to really just write it down, which is harder and takes longer but it was – they really – I mean, and obviously, they're a very experimental new wave sound and you can hear it. But within doing that, there was so many hours behind that of jamming and experimenting and trying out, which is so cool. And, you know, their their influences were all over and they take in. That's where you get some of like the beach party surf sounds. And, and they did really want to create a dance band. That was one of their, like, main goals. And so – and they do. I mean, this is a complete – they want it to be a, a party band and they are you can't go to a party without one of their songs playing um the first time they played was at a party a, a friend's valentine's day house party in 1977 was the first time and they they kind of did the party circuit in athens i guess i didn't know this but athens georgia is it like do they have the record for streaking or you know this is the late 70s I'm, there was like I'm a sure big like everyone yeah. went streaking in athens and like there was it seemed like it was a quite the party place and they said one party they went to not necessarily playing someone filled up like a foot of the room with popcorn i'm guessing like packing popcorn and covered the walls in black with black lights and then they said everyone started getting naked and rubbing oil all over them and then they were like there's just naked oily bodies rolling around in popcorn and so these are the kind of parties going around so which also kind of you know you imagine them starting out they're all young they have other jobs this was like their side hobby and you know, they're living that hustle life. They they didn't really think they could make a career out of this in the beginning, as a lot of bands do. But reading some of these stories, they said that just puts these weird experimental social situations in these parties. 
that really feeds into their music, say like a song like Strobe Light, which I love. That's fun. And they they were really – they have always been one of their things is their, you know, like thrift shop chic uh, – something like that is is their style where they would just rummage through old thrift shops and, and love dressing up. But the girls immediately were wigaholics, which I relate to. So it was just like digging in old boxes and finding these crazy wigs. And that just became their signature of, of the big beehive hairdos, which is also kind of where their name comes from. The B-52s is after the beehive do, which the beehive do of the B-52 is named after the airline bomber B-52 because the hair yeah. looks like the nose cone of the airline but it was um keith suggested the name because he had a dream that the band was playing at like a lobby lounge and someone came over and whispered in his ear like this is your band's name is the b-52s and he woke up saw the band that day and was like we should be the b-52s and i thought that was so cool because i think i mean clearly dreaming is such a subconscious um you know you're creating your dreams they don't come from nowhere and so it's it really did come from him but it was like he had to he had to go to sleep to get that subconscious to unlock a bitchin' name. So their first single is Rock Lobster. What a way to start. Like, what a way to just be like, boom, this is who we are. And it pulls in from this is where we get a little bit of the surf. Um, Fred was talking about he grew up in Jersey. And so he'd go to the Jersey Shore a lot. And he said, you constantly hear people saying, like, pass the butter. And that means, like, the tanning butter. And so that's like yeah. one of the lines in the song is, pass the tanning butter. Yeah. And all these. And um, – he said he went to like this bar, I think, or some crazy party where they were doing projections of uh, puppies and and sea life, like weird. And then they had lobsters on grills. And that's how we got – he's like, oh, rock lobster would be a great topic. And so he kind of started playing with lyrics. Meanwhile, I believe it was Keith had started working on this riff, which became the main guitar. Yeah. And he started working on it and he created it as a joke. And he did it and – the first time he showed Kate, he's laughing and he's like, listen to this. Isn't this funny? And she's like, this great. She's like, it was supposed to be in like written with a tone of humor. Um, and so then the two came together and made magic. The girls had a lot of inspiration from Yoko. They loved, you know, her weird oh, like yelling sounds. So that's kind of where they come in with all their different here comes a video way. What? what? That, like noises they make and stuff. It's so great. Um, There's a fun so fact that, tied to that, though. Oh, really? Throw so, at me, Matt. So, not only did they do those sounds because they were inspired by Yoko Ono, but the song Rock Lobster convinced John Lennon to come out of retirement. Yes. <laughs> like, I do have in, in well, that was, yeah, 1980, John Lennon stated that the 1950, the, sorry, the B-52s were his favorite band. Yes. And then they caused inspiration for Double Fantasy. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is awesome. I mean, how fucking cool to come out and... John Lennon says that's my favorite band. Like yeah. John fucking Lennon. And there's, that's there's like so dope. You have to imagine it's such a small amount of bands that any Beatle has ever been like, oh, that's our favorite band. So to be among that like elite few, like I know for a while the Beatles collectively said like Harry Nielsen was their favorite band, nice. um, which we will definitely do a Harry Nielsen. Love Harry Nielsen. He's amazing. But it's like that that has to be the biggest seal of that is like right up there with like weird al did a parody of you level of like seal of approval that you have achieved everything you could possibly achieve yeah. that you are a beatles favorite band yeah <laughs> like, it's pretty it's pretty cool i'll even say 
And I'm totally bragging right now, and I don't do that too much on this podcast, but I got to, you know, perform for Paul McCartney and meet him after. And I was right before I went on stage, I was like, I am entertaining Paul McCartney. He's having the night off, sitting back while I entertain him to his music. What the fuck's going on? All right. Yeah. Like, and then it was just like, all right, I this is this is a level of success. Cool. And then he said, Gelsey, you're my favorite artist right now. And he, you're like, he all right, did. I'm good. He did say that. Yeah. And then he never <laughs> spoke to me again. <laughs> Uh, all right. I'll so. still love you. Okay, yeah. So they they record um, their first single in 1978, Rock Lobster, and it becomes an underground success, selling like 20,000 copies. Um, the B-side to that was 52 Girls, which is um, my, one of my sister and my dance, uh, songs that was like growing up that was our song. And it's, we didn't know what they were singing and didn't look up the lyrics for the longest time because when we first started listening to it, we did not have access to the internet like we do now. And um, it kind of has that, one, one, two, dance. Doom, da, doom, da, doom. And it, they're actually saying, name them today. Can you name, name, name the girls? And they're naming Jackie O. And they're going through all these different girls. Really hard to understand them, though. So we would just kind of mumble through it, and that was our thing. Anyways, <laughs> there's a little rant about my childhood. They they created a pretty good buzz in the UK. And so when they went and did their first gig in London at the Electric Ballroom, it was packed. And then in Canada, they were released on the Warner Brothers labels, and they became number one in Canada in 1980. Um, Australia, I forget where they go. They Australia is where the B-52s has had most success. They If they chart something here, they will chart 10 times higher in Australia. And they still, like, for some reason, Australia, fuck, no, not for some reason, for every good reason, Australia loves say. the B-52s the hardest. And I get it. And I want to move to Australia, so I get it all. In 1979, they record their first debut studio album. So they had their singles, but Compass Point Studios, which is in Nassau, Bahamas, um, is who they were with. And so they flew to the Bahamas to record. And July 6, 1979, they release the B-52s, which has such hits as Rock Lobster, 52 Girls, Planet Claire, which I love if you don't know the song. It's the, she came from Planet Claire. And Cindy, I think, was saying that it was a really fun one because it was it's such an experimental. It has that really long intro. Um, that's I think they opened with Planet Claire the first time I saw them in concert. And she says it's one of those songs that live they still get to play with because it has such an – so she's like, every time we do it live, we're still experimenting, which is so cool. And then uh, Dance This Mess Around is on there too, which I love. Talk about the B-52s being punk. This is probably one of their most punk songs in my opinion. And it's Cindy. She's so fucking cute. Like you have to watch her do a live performance of this in, um, on YouTube. She's a lot of times would be barefoot on stage and she was real thin when they started and she'd always, it would always be Kate kind of stoically on the keyboards and you have, they were really shy at first and they said they grew with confidence like a lot of artists, but they all are introverts, which you wouldn't think so, but they're all very introverted people except um, Kate, but they would have this kind of stoic vibe about them when almost alien-like, which they got a lot of that Oh, they're like alien, which worked for their brand, I think, and why people were like, what? What is this? But Cindy's always in the back and sometimes like not playing an instrument and not quite singing yet. And it's almost like she's like the band dancer in a lot of moments, which I love. And she's just barefoot, has this huge beehive wig on. And But this one, Dance This Mess Around, is kind of when she's like yelling the, why won't you dance with me? Yeah. I and it's so... It's such a fun song and I love it. And that, I didn't realize that was on their first album. I thought that might have been a later. 
one, but um, I have, they I have hit- a question that you might not be able to answer, but I'm trying to solve this for myself and I'm failing greatly. Mm-hmm. Planet Claire. Mm-hmm. It's credited to to two members of the band, but also Henry Mancini, who is like a famous composer. <laughs> that I don't like, know. Who did the music for like Breakfast at Tiffany's? Oh, and wow. wait, let me see. Maybe it- they sample. Oh, I get it. Okay, I figured it out. It's because he did the Peter Gunn theme, and the guitar riff is based on that. Dun 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 dun. There you dun. go. Yeah. I, I was like, wait, hold on a second. Like I saw that when I was looking it up. And started to lose my mind, and like the actual page for Planet Claire doesn't explain why he got a credit. Okay, you're like, right. whoa! How did they have that connection? Exactly. It no, was like, that. was this one of those situations where some guy, just similar to a John Lennon, was like, "I like these kids. I'm going to help write a song with them." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that makes a lot more party. sense. Sorry. Yes. Uh, no, that's okay. Actually, I didn't. I didn't know that. So thanks for. Uh, where? Oh yeah, so they they hit the top Billboard Hot 100 chart with Rock Lobster, and their album goes platinum. And then that's when 19 John Lennon's like my favorite band. Um, in April 1980, they record their second album, which is Wild Planet. Wild it's Planet, my favorite yeah. of their albums, I think. Yes, me too. It's still actually it's considered by most fans their best album. And we get Party Out of Bounds, which I love that song. Um, Private Idaho, Quiche Lorraine, and Strobe Light. Those are just some of the most popular songs and my favorites. Um, I love Quiche Lorraine. Like, I'm still convinced I'm going to buy a little dog one day and name him Quiche. (laughs) The fun thing about the B-52s in my family as well is that it's actually, as much as it's my sister and my's band, it's also, it's my dad's band as well. And so we all sing it. And my dad is always Fred. And he kills like it's our go-to carry we will the three of us will do love shack we've done it so many times and my dad just like tears it down like he brings the house down with his b-52s so quiche lorraine was always great strobe light i love the theme of the song is i want to make love to you under the strobe light how how fun i mean i i want to talk about private idaho for a second just because it is my favorite b-52 song i love private idaho so much and I love uh, this little factoid that while the B-52s are from Athens, Georgia, they actually never played in Idaho until 2011. <laughs> and in preparation for the show, they were asked by an Idaho, Idaho statesman, what is the song about? And he said, Idaho's just mysterious to all of us. <laughs> I know that it's probably a beautiful state. But I also know that there's a lot of crazy right wingers and all of that stuff. The song's just about different things. It's not like a parody of Idaho or anything like that. But the song was big enough that it appeared in Wedding Singer, which is where I first yep. heard the song. Um, but Gus Van Sant wrote his movie, My Own Pride of Idaho, inspired by the lyrics of the song. Uh, it's your own it's so Idaho. good. You're living in your own private Idaho on the road like a wild potato. Yeah, and just that guitar riff that. Oh, woo, 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 woo. Yeah, it's so good. Honestly, I think they have some of my favorite guitar riffs and licks. Like the beats and the bass in all of their songs are. are fire that's really every are. every piece of that song is great because then when the guitar drops out and you have that almost like creepy little like and she kind of comes yeah. in the yeah it's so good so so good i love um 
No, I do. Even the even obviously Quiche Learns a really funny song. For some of you that don't know, Quiche Learns about a tiny dog that <laughs> he loves and then Quiche Learn runs around. It's really fun. He goes, Has anybody seen a dog dyed dark green, about two inches long, with a strawberry bond all? Sunglasses and a bonnet, designer jeans with appliques on it. Quiche Learn, even the first dun, 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 that's kind of how it starts. Dun, dun. The skies are charcoal gray. It's just so fucking great. But I love strobe light starts out. My favorite is the um kind of down to down to down 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 down. Hey, and it's this phone call. Yeah, what? I want to see you tonight. And he's telling the girl, I want you to come on the floor. I want you to. And uh, he's talking about where he's going to kiss her. First, I'll kiss your neck. He's, ooh, and this, that. And it ends with that. Then I'll kiss your pineapple. And they go in. And then that's the. Strobe It's just, yeah. I'm, okay. Anyways, that, that album had gone certified gold. Private Idaho is their second song in the top 100 and um, they perform on SNL. This was where specifically they said they were just like so nervous, um, nervous and kind of shy. Uh, Cindy was saying like they kept really quiet. They kind of had their manager would talk for them and, and it worked in that dynamic and they're introverts, but also she's like, we knew nothing about the business. So we thought it was just best to not say much, <laughs> which <laughs> I kind of have lived a lot of my career that way. I will always just kind of shut up and go for the ride. And cause I'm like bullshitting everything I do. Let's be honest. Um, very well though. But um, so on SNL, they kind of people, that's where the alien comments came where they're like, Whoa, what is this? Cause they kind of just had these, and I watched it this morning and they do have this real just pan big eyed, dead stance look and it works. You're just like, yes, it's so great. So after that, 1981, they released the album. Whammy. Yeah, Whammy is their next, which I actually owned this. And this is the one you were talking about. You were correct. It was just the two guys doing all of the music on this one. Yeah, it was Whammy was okay because it's they started bringing in synthesizers in this album and playing around a lot. There's not too many hits to be honest on Whammy. Like even when I bought it, um, I remember being old enough to buy my own shit at this point, but I still went to a CD store to buy it. And yeah. I saw it and I was like, oh my God, it'd be 52s. It was like the only B52 CD they had because I was flipping through. And I was like, I don't have this. And there's other songs on here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this one. Uh Whammy Kiss is really fun and all this, but the song that sticks out that I had already known is um Song for a Future Generation. And that's kind of like the date song where they're it's almost like speed dating like hi my name is kate and i like chinese noodles and puzzles and like hi i'm steve and and it's so good and it reminds me like anytime i'm online dating or swiping or talking i always think about this song and it gives me a good giggle it's the let's meet and have a baby now so it's like they like one will be like i have something that's comparable with you and then it's just a bunch of people let's meet and have a baby now um it's great <laughs> Anyways, so their next album ugh, is um, Bouncing Off the Satellites, and it was released 1986. So right before this happens, um, Ricky Wilson is diagnosed with AIDS. Mm. He keeps it from everybody. Um, only Keith knows, but he he keeps it from the band because he doesn't want them to worry about him. They He doesn't want them – you know, sad or anything. And he was very protective of Cindy, who's his younger sister and of his family. So he, he does keep it to himself. They first, before he passes, they perform at, um, in Brazil at rock and Rio, which is their largest crowd ever. And they are writing their 
material for bouncing off the ceilings at that point. And they, they all lived together in one house and they felt like the collaboration at the time wasn't working. So they wrote a lot of solo stuff for that. But Ricky passes October 12, 1985 at the age of 32, uh, which was a really, really hard hit for everyone, especially Cindy, since that was her brother. But they come out with Bouncing Off the Satellites, which is considered one of their darkest albums, understandably so. Yeah. Um, but they were just absolutely devastated. So they went into seclusion. They didn't promote their work. Um, and they went on a hiatus. They did, in 1987, um, release a perfect public service announcement um, on behalf of the Foundation of AIDS Research and kind of did a donation charity and, and you know, awareness and whatnot. But they they do take um, a hiatus, understandably so. They're in a really bad place. But they come back in 1988 and they have a comeback album, which is Cosmic Thing. Yeah. And yeah. Cosmic Thing And Thing's what a comeback single- album it actually is. Oh, <laughs> it is so fucking good. Let me open up the track list. Yeah, this has, okay, so to start, Love Shack is on this album. So (laughs) they come back with Love Shack, which is still one of the top hits. Like everyone, if they don't know the B-52s, knows Love Shack. Um, But this album has Deadbeat Club, Love Shack, Rome, Channel Z. Um, Those are all, I think they Rome was also like so I believe Rome is the thing where look I'm going to say that it's insane for any human being to genuinely call the B-52s a one hit wonder because they have a ton of hits but by the, but by the structure that like most one hit wonders are concerned Rome is what keeps them from being a one hit wonder because most of it's based on how many top 20 hits do, do you have and they had two that was number three both hit number three and Rome. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong about this was used for like car commercials and stuff like that song was just been, massive. It's <laughs> like, been on so many and like there it's in so many movies. I think it was in like the Lizzie McGuire movie too. And she's like on the back of a Vespa in Rome and then they yeah. sing Rome. And I'm like, this is so cheesy. I think I you're still- absolutely right. Actually. <laughs> I am right. And I'm like, wrong, Rome, 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 whatever. Cute. Did you see my face listeners? You can't see it. But when you said, People might consider them a one-hit wonder of this, that. Oh, like, you were I about got, to choke me. You were ready to scream really t- through the I was screen. like, they are not a one-hit wonder. <laughs> I was like, they have – I was so – I was like, hello. Listen, I agree. I've had to fight this before because people want to pick it all the time for one-hit thunder. No, no, and I'm no. like, no, 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 it's no, no. It's not. It is it's so not not even up That's to, why. It's not even up for debate. If you even base on top 40 hits, they've had like oh. eight. <laughs> oh yeah no and top like, billboards top 100 they have like multiple platinum gold albums like yeah. that's not what you get when you're one hit wonder um deadbeat club was a, a single on the album which so i love a deadbeat club is not one of their most more known it's the the god excuse me again i lost my voice there. it's the deadbeat club deadbeat club the deadbeat. that's kind of me brutally um no voice singing but it's a real chill song i like it my sister and i for years when we were probably like preteen into teenage years had this like dream of opening up a real cool bougie cocktail lounge called the deadbeat club and we wanted everything to be super chic mod big giant white circle bed couches because we're also obsessed with circle beds um and all over and the waitresses all either have to wear like sleek 60 bobbed wigs or beehives and they're either black or white and then have kind of huge twiggy dramatic almost like drugged out look eyelashes. Like we were going to have strict costumes for the waitresses and it was going to have this real almost Andy Warhol type 
vibe and we wanted to call it the deadbeat club and that song inspired us but um we obviously did not do that but uh, we need to get this podcast thank you yeah we need to get this podcast big enough that we can turn that into a reality for you yeah if someone wants to help us make the deadbeat club i think it's just you know what honestly as i got older and understood what that entails not just the financial backing of opening a place but anything in the food and beverage industry is a nightmare that's a nightmare and it's it's success rate is not high. So I also respect anyone that can make those happen. You you have to go in it with so much fucking money that it's not a big deal if it flops. That would be like if five dollars fell out of my pocket. I'm like, oh well, you know, yeah. it's damn, but I'm not crying. Anyways, yeah. So we go into cosmic thing. Obviously, Love Shack. Everyone knows Love Shack takes off. Fun fact. Tin Roof Rusted. I was reading because everyone thinks that when she yells Tin Roof Rusted, that it means that she's pregnant. And I remember being told that as a kid. So I was like, do you know what that means? It's it's pregnant. And I was like, what? How? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like looking today because I was like, I want to see if other people think that or is that something she just told me? And it is. And innuendo has been this, but <laughs> Kate denies it. So Kate says, um, it was just part of a description of the vision in my head of the love shack, what the love shack looked like. There's a place outside of Athens, Georgia that closed. It was an old building with a metal roof that had aged and was rusted. I was using that image when we were jamming. All of a sudden, we're singing to the tape and it ran out. I just kept going because I was so into it and said, tin roof, rusted. And they thought it was funny and a good way to end it. It was just a vision in my head of my love shack. Um yeah. It's yeah, so and that's bad. that's all it was. And people just kind of, which I think happens a lot with music and film. People like to interpret it their way, unless you're an asshole and leave a film ending like Inception and just leave that top spinning. And now we don't ever know how so, many times on this podcast have I referenced that ending and how pissed I am. What are their other deadbeat? Shake That Cosmic thing's really fun. Rome, we talked about, is a great. And then I love Channel Z. It's okay. a, I am living on Channel Z. <laughs> down, 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 down. It's another one that you're just like, yeah, and it's a hitting of my static, hitting of my static. And it's it's a bop. All their songs are a bop. Matt, they're all a fucking bop. They're all bops. Um, I know. And that's the – I do want to do some honorable mentions because that's about as far as I'm going to go historically in depth with them because then we start hitting the early 90s and <laughs> – you were my a parents thing. got busy and popped me out, so <laughs> not before my time after once we get into the Flintstones. You know, we, we mentioned that. But some songs that are of my time that I do want to just give – wait, when was Mesopotamia written? That was an EP. Actually, that was 1981 they record Mesopotamia. That's what I thought. I do love the song Mesopotamia. That's the turn your watch, turn your watch back about a hundred thousand years. It's great. Mesopotamia was also um, them working with the Talking Heads vocalist David uh, Bryan. Mm-hmm. They did um, work together, and then something happened where they kind of fell out. They had, yeah, they they didn't work together too long. What are your thoughts? While we're on that topic, I'm sure it could be a whole episode itself. But just real quick, what are your thoughts on the Talking Heads? You, uh, I love it. I love the Talking Heads. Same, same. Yeah, yeah. They're another one of those kind of bizarro bands, but I, I'm kind of clearly into it. <laughs> okay, so I'm kind of going into a couple honorable mentions of my time, but fuck it, <laughs> it's my podcast. I can do what I want. Yeah. I love um good stuff and their album came out i think it was 1992 was good stuff and that has one of my favorite songs which is uh good stuff yeah and that was another top 30 hit hit 28 
Mm-hmm. I do like, um, God, I forgot about that song. Is that you, Modine? I love, is that you, Modine? It's me, Modine. That was another one that it's my sister and I used to always, oh my God, that's the, on the bus, to the plane, to the UFO and out of space, baby, on the bus. And we would do little, to the plane, like do different hand motions. We'd like drive our hand on the bus, take it to the plane, go down, go on the rocket ship. And then when we would go on tours or travel with my family, like if we got on a bus, I'd be like, to another bus. And we thought it was so funny. Um, I love that song, but Good Stuff is a brilliant song. If you've never heard Good Stuff, there's like, it's like a two-part song almost where it changes, you know, it's the that good stuff that I ain't seeking. It's got me freaking and it's got me dreaming. And it's this great like boom, 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 boom. And you can almost see Fred like hitting his ass with a tambourine. You're like, that's what he's doing. But then it goes into this other refrain where it's to the take me down where the good stuff grows. Kiss you nice. And it's this great, oh, it's so good. So I highly recommend good stuff. I used to have, I still have actually, this lion who's a puppet, um, Marvin. And I, he's been in a couple of my videos, but I used to like get really good at making Marvin sing. Um, His most famous song he sings is Mad World. And he is so depressed and it's hilarious. But I used to practice, (laughs) I used to sing good stuff with Marvin and we would duet it. And he would sing all Fred's and I was Kate and we would like sing together at each other. I only did it for my sister and my family just to make him laugh, but I need to bring him back. I need to find him. 2006 and seven, the B-52s go and fucking record a new album. And it is released in 2008. And I was working at Disney at the time and it's the Funplex album. And my sister and I just about lost our fucking shit when this album came out. And they played at Downtown Disney at the House of Blues. The House of Blues is no longer there. But they went on tour. And so it was a real intimate thing. My sister, my dad, and I went and saw. And they did the Funplex tour. And they just sang the entire Funplex album on that road. They maybe did like two or three of their hits as their encore because they have to. But they literally just did Funplex. But we had bought the, the CD. We still had CDs. And listened to it probably every day nonstop at least a month leading up to it, like just obsessed with Funplex and seeing them live do it was so much fun. And I love that fucking 2006, seven, they're like, fuck it, let's do another, like so yeah. many years. So I love that they said, fuck it, let's do another album. And then also went on tour and was like, fuck it, we're just playing the new album. Like that's a ballsy move for a legacy band. It <laughs> seriously is like people expect them to just play because they have so many great hits. And like I said, I can't remember what, what, which ones they did, but they they did Funplex and it was so fun. There was this one guy, I literally was texting my sister today about it. He had, it looked like almost like this kangaroo hat on and he looked like he was in his middle-aged, like six, five in the front. The last person you would think would be at a B-52s concert, like did not look like he belonged there. And there's a song called Juliet and it's, they're more double girl ballad kind of Juliet, Juliet, almost the feel of Rome, like more chill. And my sister and I could see him from the back of the crowd. He's in the front bopping along and singing every single fucking word to this song. And we laughed so hard. And now we always like, if she's in a bad mood, I'll just be like, think of Juliet guy. And today she was having a rough day. And I was like, dude, Julia. And it's like, I can still see my head just living. It was so great. But um, no, I love Funplex. It's a really fun album. 
But yeah, they are going on tour again. Their final, they're considering this, you know, it's, I know the Stones did like 20 farewell tours, but I, I do believe this will be their, it's, they're selling it as their final tour, the farewell tour. And I will be there some way or another. Well, got to figure I out. Can't, if I, you'll have to report back. We'll do, we'll do an episode all about the B-52's concert after you see the final show. Oh yeah. I know it's, it's so hard for me with my job to plan ahead because <laughs> it's like a lot of times I don't know until like the week before if I'm available or, but I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll make it work. <laughs> Oh, hello there. I didn't see you come in. I'm Shane O'Hare of the Geekscape Games Podcast, the number one video game podcast on the Geekscape.network. Join myself, Derek Krenevelt, and a guest every fortnight as we discuss video game news, video game reviews, and dissections. That's Geekscape Games every two weeks on Geekscape.net. So, I want to ask you, maybe I'm alone in this, but something that really bothers me as a B-52s fan um, is something that I'll refer to as the the family guy effect, which is that like family guy will make a joke about something that I love, and instead of it being a throwaway joke, it becomes the way that I feel like most people know that that property exclusively. Does the fact that so many people pretty much only know Rock Lobster at this point as a joke thing that happened in an episode of Family Guy bother you as much as it bothers me? Mm-mm. It doesn't because if they wouldn't know it from that, then they wouldn't know it at all. That's true. I don't know. I get. And there's so many things that I feel like I've I've learned from different jokes where I'm like, I think it's from something. And after a while, I'm like, what is that actually? And then I'll yeah. look it up and then be introduced to something. So I think it's an awesome way. I'm such a huge Seth MacFarlane fan and love that he pulls from so much variety of pop culture and entertainment through the decades. I think he's brilliant at it. Um, so I love it. Okay. And I, I laughed right. so hard when he did bring it in because I do love the beef. So I think it's like also this like double inside joke for people that love it that I feel like we got even more. I think the Rock Lobster one bothers me less than, say, Surfing Bird or the Randy Newman <laughs> spoof. I love Be- the Surfing Bird so much. That's but, like an ongoing joke in my family. <laughs> see, I guess for me, it's like Bro, one I know. of those. <laughs> for me, it's like one of those things where it's like, it's like, no, it's a funny joke, but like, it's also a really good song. Like, please, Matt, like, shut up. It's a fucking song. hilarious joke. It's a great joke. But have like, you heard? Heard what? No. <laughs> I think there was like a month straight my sister and I did that. <laughs> I think I, it's the funniest thing ever. I love surfing. I love the song Surfing Birds so much. And I'm like, but seriously, it's a good song. You should listen you to it. Bird is the word. Man, I can't. we can't make a full episode on just the song Surfing Bird. But I, I mean, maybe next summer we'll get desperate. I'll give it a shot. Uh, oh, we could do like um, like Sounds of Surf or Surf Song Ooh, Hits and do a whole episode of like beach classics. I mean, we could do it for August. It's summer, so. Cool. That's true. Good idea. Hey, listeners, what do you think? Should we do a surfing thing? Let us know. Um, oh, man, where do they let us know, Gelsey? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, there's this thing called the World Wide Web, and if you go on it, you can download <laughs> these apps from the World Wide Web for social media. <laughs> on Instagram, you can find us at our handle at beforemytime underscore podcast. On Facebook, just search Before My Time, and <laughs> that's right, we'll show up right on our wall. DM us, say hey, say hi. Tell us what episode you'd like to hear. Tell us about Bird is the Word. Tell us what the word is, and tell us what you 
you think about the B-52s? Is this the first time you're hearing a lot of these albums and song names? Or are you a deep down hardcore fan like myself? Are you going to be at the concerts? Let me know. We can like grab a drink at the bar at the concert and say, hey, and I'll be in line for merch because I need a new shirt. How about you throw us a couple five-star reviews because we've gotten two in the last month that I want to give some shout outs to. Uh, Sweeteners uh, said, a fun ride into history. I love listening to this podcast. It's super interesting and I'm always shouting in my car. But what about this? In case something is missing from the subject being discussed. But Gelsey always does a great job of researching and then it's Mm -hmm. often covered by the end of the episode. It's like hanging out with interesting friends and learning about history that is often brought in current pop culture. Looking forward to all the future episodes and also... (laughs) Poop Zord, who said, <laughs> who said, vintagely great. Uh, what a great idea for a podcast. If you feel like you were born 30 years before your time, this is the perfect podcast to check out. My wife and friends don't share my fascination with vintage movies and music. It feels great to see that there are others just like me. I'm glad I found a show that I can listen to and get my old school fix on while I work. Uh, and you, if you want to hear us read one of your reviews, all you got to do is, is drop them five little stars and, and write yeah. something. <laughs> I'll give you a shout out. Wow. I, you guys can't see how big of a smile I have on my face while Matt read those. It literally just like lights me up because I'm here for you. I Obviously, we have this passion and it just makes me so happy to share it and also that people feel like they can connect to others through it. So you all made my day. Like seriously, I'm I'm very happy. Thanks. Hello everyone, we're Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and if you think you know about superheroes and comic books, think again. We got romance, we got action, we got comedy, we got everything you need, man. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know for all your superhero needs. Uh, I I don't know about this romance, what part are you talking about? We've got all kinds of sketches, and then deep dives on top of that. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know. Alright, so come on down to, wait, why did I say come on down? To Superhero Stuff You Should Know. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 